Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers and a very happy new year. Wishing you all the best in 2019. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. The delicious conversation starts right here and right now. Because just for the record, I love food. I love eating it and looking at it and reading and writing about it, creating it, sharing it, and especially talking about it right here on the radio. If you love to cook or just love to eat, then this is your show. And I'm delivering deliciousness every weekend. So mark your calendars and please be sure to tune in. This is my 16th blessed year on the radio. And this show is radio's answer to culinary conversation and inspiration. It's all about the culture of food and living the best life. And so we celebrate things that feed your soul, like travel, health, the environment, wine, mixology, top trends, and more. So you are bound to find something you love on this show. And if you happen to have missed a week, don't worry. My podcasts are posted on iTunes and you can find a direct link at chefjamie.com where you'll find an arsenal of recipes to fill every day with fabulous flavor. Just search Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen on iTunes, and you can take my podcast with you. You can also take your cooking skills to the next level by visiting chefjamie.com, as aforementioned, and you'll find lots of lean, clean recipes to get you through January, of course. Also, become a friend and a fan, please. I'd love to see you on social, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. And because my goal is to satiate your appetite, we have some grand guests coming up and you will not want to touch your dial because winemaker Bob Cabral, the rock star, is filling our glasses this hour and Jillian Michaels, oh yes, we love her, is going to stop by and kick our butts. She has the six keys to living long and prospering. Perfect resolutions for the new year, right? But I like to kick off this show every week with a tutorial of sorts, a method or instruction, chef's tips or tricks, some insight to make you the best cook you know in 2019. So the following is a brief science class on the molecular structure of cheese. But just wait, it has a really happy ending. Whether a cheese will or won't melt begins with molecular chemistry. And to understand why a cheese won't melt, it's actually easier to grasp why a cheese will melt. So to ooze or stretch, a cheese has to have a flexible network of proteins that are created by rennet and loosely held together by calcium phosphate. Sounds very scientific. But when heated, these proteins can move and ooze and goo. And that's what's so delicious, right? Well, not always. At the other end of the spectrum is a cheese that remains intact, that is rigid in its structure, that doesn't melt. And I'm still getting to the good part, so stay with me. Now, there are many cheeses that don't melt, like queso fresco and Indian paneer. And then there is halloumi. 
Ah, halloumi. Okay, more on that in a minute. The cheese making process, by the way, that results in a non-melting cheese includes heating milk to a high temperature and then adding vinegar or lemon juice or another acid to curdle it. And the high heat causes the whey to stick to the cheese proteins and then they're pressed together to create what is an inflexible or non-melting cheese. Now, halloumi is made with rennet, but it's pressed for a shorter time. And the cheese is then dipped in hot whey, which kills the starter bacteria and it prevents it from further developing. And it gives you this strong, lovely cheese. And if you don't know halloumi, then you're missing out on how special it is. And if you haven't experimented with halloumi, you're really missing out. And I think you should make 2019 the year that you add new ingredients to your repertoire, that you master that ultimate recipe. Now, I think halloumi is a crowd pleaser. It makes a good impression. It makes you a culinary hero. And you can use it in a few different ways. By the way, when you serve it, you want to, of course, wax poetic on how smart you are to it. That is halloumi smarts. And I like to use it in salads. Um, I love to grill it. I turn it into fries. And if you're going very vegetarian or very vegan this month, it is a great main event in vegetarian dishes. Now, it hails from the Mediterranean island of Cyprus, and it is traditionally made from a blend of sheep and goat's milk. It is a white, firm, pleasantly salty cheese, similar to feta. It's very strong, halloumi. It's very springy and it's very popular throughout the Eastern Mediterranean. Now, when you cook it, it has this mild, lovely, creamy taste and it is aged in brine. So it tends to be a little bit salty. It holds its shape though under really high heat. So you can slice it and then you can grill it to a golden crust or you can air fry it to crispy on the outside and chewy on the inside. But check out this statistic. Halloumi is making its mark. It has grown in popularity in the United States by 72% over the past five years. That's pretty amazing. Now, another interesting fact, halloumi is actually quite healthy when it comes to cheeses, and it provides a really good source of calcium. It is, as I mentioned though, high in salt. So if you have high blood pressure, you should probably limit your intake of halloumi and cheese in general. However, it is very low in carbs. So if you are looking for something toothsome to add to your salad at night, going lean and clean for January, halloumi is ideal for that low carb diet. Now, the taste is unique and it is not meant to be eaten plain. It should be warmed or grilled or otherwise fired up if you really want to enjoy it. And when you cook it, the saltiness does fade. It has a very savory umami bite to it and it's slightly creamy, but I happen to love it grilled or fried. It is truly delicious. So I say buy some halloumi cheese and get cooking. Here's what to do with it, by the way. I love it added to a caprese, or it's beautiful with fruit, like with sliced pears or apples and a drizzle of pomegranate molasses. It's really wonderful as an addition for pizza because it adds that salty goodness and 
a little bit of textural contrast. If you cut it into sticks, you can fry it for halloumi fries. But my most favorite thing to do of late is to grate it using my microplane into a salad because it adds that tangy goodness, uh, olive oil, and red wine vinegar as the dressing, um, and you know, lots of other good veggies, even grilled veggies better yet. And you have a really fabulous meal. So in general, how do you cook halloumi? Well, you cut it into thick slices, which ensures that the exterior browns and the inside stays gooey and nice. And you put it in a dry skillet or straight on the grill. Do not add any oil because the cheese releases its liquid in a little natural oil as it cooks. And then don't touch it. Allow it to cook until it's golden brown on the underside and then flip it over and cook another minute or two. It's a beautiful pairing for fresh herbs, especially mint. And I would love to know what you're doing with it. So please, if you're looking for further halloumi inspiration, you can email me, jamie, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com will get you to me. And you have now learned halloumi 101. Let me know how your experiments turn out once again. I think I have to make it for dinner tonight. I made myself hungry. Okay, it's time for food news this week. The lava cake, definitely one of the most decadent, delicious, ooey-gooey desserts of all time, right? Well, here's some news you can use. The lava cake now exists in a bite-sized pre-packaged form. Heartfelt thanks, really to the brilliant people who came up with the new Hershey's Kiss flavor because they just released it early for Valentine's Day. And who'd have guessed? It's a lava cake Hershey's Kiss. Each individually wrapped kiss has a smooth melted cocoa center that is surrounded by a decadent dark chocolate and robing. And I say that is really romantic. It is on store shelves now, so be sure to look for them. I haven't tasted them yet, so if you do before me, savor one or eight. And it doesn't really matter, by the way, if you have a significant other. I think you should treat yourself to them ASAP, don't you think? (laughs) And please don't touch your dial, because coming up next, he is the rock star winemaker. That is Bob Cabral. Very glad to have my friend back on the show. And we're toasting the new year. So stay tuned. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Be right back. Feeding your insatiable appetite every weekend. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Filling your glasses today as well. Because for diehard wine lovers, rock star winemaker Bob Cabral's name is synonymous with the best of Sonoma County's Pinot Noir. Everyone knows I am a lover. As winemaker... At the world-renowned William Selium, he received a perfect 100-point score, a first for a North American Pinot Noir. 
A few years later, he was tapped as the 2011 Winemaker of the Year. And today, he is crafting beautiful wines for his own label, Bob Cabral Wines, and they too are getting the attention they deserve. It's a family collaboration in small batches. And since Bob has been making wine since the early 70s, he's really going back to his roots. I am very proud to know Bob Cabral. I adore his passion and his philanthropy, and I have always loved his wines, and it's been too long. So he is back to dish, and I am glad to have you. Hi, Bob. How's it going, Jamie? (laughs) It's going great, thank you. Although, it would be better if we were toasting in person. I know, and it'd also be better if we each had a glass of wine in front of us. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. definitely so. Uh, I kind of blew that one. (laughs) I I will say, I, I think this is your most extraordinary project yet. And maybe it's, um, maybe it's time and, you know, knowledge and experience all <laughs> combined. I don't know. But I, oh, think, yeah. I think what I can taste in Bob Cabral Wines is that uh, reignited passion for yep. winemaking. Absolutely. This, um, this is really my muse, and yes. I've, I'm fortunate enough to, you know, kind of have the backing of my, my wife and my daughter, and it's a project that just we work on, and mm-hmm. um, it came about because of our, our thought of being able to give back. So throughout my years of, of winemaking, um, I've been fortunate enough to be tied to several charities, especially children's charities. I, I really focused, have focused on that in the last 10 years of my career, and I wanted to be able to continue that uh, on a personal level. And um, when I had left William Salyam, I then had the opportunity, because I no longer had a non-compete, to make my own wine, and I got to be honest with you, I really wasn't too excited about making my own wine. I I needed a reason more than to either see my name on a label or, or just get to do what I want to do. There had to be a higher purpose than that. So I talked it over with my wife over several weeks, and um, I said, finally came to the conclusion and said, "Look, if you won't take a salary, I won't take a salary. We'll own this brand. We'll we'll self fund it." No investors, no, nobody else will be involved. Uh, but after operating expenses, I want to be able to use the capital for charity, mm-hmm. and specifically children's charity, and children in crises, schools. Uh, you know I do a lot of work with Emeril Lagasse and his foundation down in Florida as well as in New Orleans. Yeah, that's how we originally met, Bob. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I met you through Emeril and all the years of working with him, and I've always appreciated your dedication to his good work and having tied it into your own. Well, it just, um, you, I think... Uh, everybody finds a place in life where uh, things just make you feel happy. They yes. make you feel good. Yes. And I realized when I was doing these charity auctions and, and seeing the faces of these kids and how their lives have been changed and that all I had to do was make like some great bottles of wine and show up and pour the dinner or, <laughs> or whatever I needed to do, um, it was so worth it. It was such little pain on my part, if any at all. It was actually enjoyable um, to see how you could really make a difference in just 
not just the children, the, the child's life, but you know, in the world around you. So Bob Cabral Wines was set up to be able to do that, and um, we're on our second vintage now, and you mm. can buy the wines. My wife does all the selling. She has a web cart um, <laughs> at bobcabralwines.com, and, yeah, it's it's really been a wonderful experience to um, to be able to continue to give back. And I have enough other consulting jobs that will pay the bills and send my daughter to college and, you know, back, keep the lights on at home. Okay. And I really wanted to focus on having a business where we could uh, make those decisions and really give to the, those charities that we wanted to. I think there is nothing better than doing good work. And you are not only making the world a better place, but... I will tell you, you are bringing tremendous joy to uh, onophiles everywhere because wine lovers have rejoiced in drinking Bob Cabral wines that are filled with so much passion in the bottle, it's overflowing, and knowing that they too are doing a good thing. I love the grassroots approach that you've taken. This is a total family operation, right? I mean, between... Totally. I mean, we do have to source out some of, like, the compliance. And I have people I've known in the PR industry, and, you know, sometimes they'll trade me for wine or half cash, half wine. But, I, you know, it's Heather and I, period. And, and our daughter is our IT person. Right. When we can't figure out something on our laptops <laughs> or our phones, you know, it's like, hey, Paige, what do we do? How do we, how do we get this into... Um, to MailChimp, or right. how do we how do we do this? How do we upload this? So, um, it's really great to be able to um, work with my family on this. Yes. And you know, the other stipulation I had with my wife was that she can't question any of my expenses as far as making the wine. So, I'm oh. going to buy the fruit that I want to buy. I want. I'm going to use the barrels I want to use, and I'm going to make things the way I want it made. Yeah. And how's that working for Heather? Really well. Oh, because, good. Uh, we're getting some <laughs> rock star scores. Yeah, no doubt. When you when you get a 94 on your first Chardonnay and a 93 on your first Pinot, they wow. um, and I've only shown it to one person, so I'm in the process of trying to to set things up with some of the other writers uh, hmm. because they're they're requesting to taste the wine. So I just need to take the time to sit down with some of these guys and and uh, go through the wines with them. So, you know, I think it's sometimes I'm, I'm, um, uh, you know, want to make sure that the consumers are comfortable with the wines, that they enjoy the wines. Um, they are, I think, on a bit on the pricey side, so you are buying into our philanthropy as well. So uh, we try to make it, you know, very well known that this is not a, uh, a project that's going to put a new Tesla in our driveway or no Europe for a no month. it, it is really about giving back and you know yes. we've we've had to unfortunately um give a little bit more and um a little bit sooner before we we've really had any any real cash flow here mm-hmm. and to go and and buy you know fifty hundred dollar target gift cards and take them to a shelter and give them to people so that they can go buy their own toothpaste and they can go buy their own shampoo is really important. And I think we need to, to take care of our communities. Bob, we need to take a quick break, but please don't go anywhere. Bob Cabral, rock star winemaker, continues to fill our glasses right after this. 
Welcome back and a very happy new year to you, Chef Jamie Gwen, in your radio as we celebrate 2019. Winemaker Bob Cabral is here sharing his passion, his love for grapes, and the beauty of the bottle. I love that you have always found winemaking humbling. And I think that... It's not easy. <laughs> no, it's not. I think that rings true. But, you know, 94 points on your first Chardonnay release, well-deserved. Um, tell us how Harvest was, uh, or this most in, recent in 2018, Harvest. 2018. Yeah, 2018. Because yeah, yeah, so, I want to um, take a virtual taste uh, journey sure. with you. You're producing Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Rosé of Pinot Noir, correct? Actually, I, I only made the Rosé one year, and that was in 2016. So my, my kind of staple third wine is actually Riesling. And I made my first Riesling in 2016. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Washington. How come huh? I haven't tasted that? Well, it's just been released. I am such so a Riesling I, I lover. A, yeah, oh. I fermented it in a concrete amphora. Wow. And then I age it on the leaves for like 15 months, and then I bottle it. Oh. And then I hold it in bottle for almost a year before. These are very austere, dry-style, yes. trocken um, Rieslings that I, I think go really well with food. Oh, it's, I can't it's, wait, it's Bob. One of oh. those wines that I think... Um, is actually more expressive and, and more um, uh, food-friendly than even Chardonnay. And I've made a lot of Chardonnay in my career, so hmm. Riesling is, is my new passion. So until I could get my two sites, I grafted and planted uh, sites in 2014 as I was leaving William Salyam. And I knew I wouldn't have grapes till 2017, 2018. I wanted to at least um, get my hands wet a little bit from Riesling. So I bought about a ten and a half from the Yakima Valley on the eastern side of Mount Rainier in Washington yes. State. And uh, it's just beautiful. I, I'm really excited about this wine. And, mm. you know, we may, well, I think I bottled like 140 cases and that'll be about the amount I'll make each year. And now the two sites on the Sonoma Coast are coming into production. And I, I made those one of the sites came in in 2017. I only bottled 24 cases. In 2018, uh, both sites uh, had a, had about a ton and a quarter each. So um, wow. I fermented both of those in mm. the concrete amphora, and they're just kind of sitting, waiting. W- waiting. Patiently. We're yes. we're sitting, waiting patiently. Bob. <laughs> I don't know if they are. I I definitely know that from tasting your wines and doing my homework and knowing you over the years that Bob Cabral wines is so truly Bob Cabral. I, I down to the label. If you would share the <laughs> label story and how it melds sure. your love for music. I had um, uh, talked to a, a guy that actually did websites. His name is Byron Hoffman and uh, the Hoffmans are an old family from Napa. Yeah. Very well known. And, yeah. Very well known. His, his, brother Perry was most recently uh, the lead chef at a place called um, Shed in, in Healdsburg. Yes. So Byron had done the label uh, for the Mondavi boys, uh, Carlo and Dante, for their rain project. And I was helping them source grapes in 2014, 2015. And I was at one of their release parties, and I'm talking to this guy, and they don't even know who he is. And I said, man, I really like this label. It's amazing. It just really has their personalities and their vision 
on a piece of paper that you can apply to the bottle itself. And I said, boy, I would love to find out who did that. And he just kind of chuckled, and he said, well, actually, I, I did the label. I'm Byron Hoffman. And um, I said, well, I thought you did websites. And he goes, I do. That's that's my forte. I'm working on the on the Costa Brown website update mm-hmm. right now. And, and I said, would you be interested in doing uh, our label for Bob Cabral Wines? And he said, sure, let's let's uh, give it a try. So we had a series of meetings, and Byron spent somewhere between 25 and 30 hours at my home with my wife, my daughter, and myself, and our dogs. I have a Great Dane named Roxy and a Westie named Chanel. Uh, we have five acres out in the Dry Creek Valley, and he just spent time. He had dinner with us. We looked through books of old uh, Fillmore posters. We listened to music. What were my passions? What were my visions? And and he came up with these different label designs, and I'm really proud of, of what he came up with. And I think it, it totally reflects my personality and kind of the personality of the wines in the bottle. It definitely screams Bob Cabral. Uh, <laughs> just talk about your passion for music. One of the things that you and Emeril share... Um, and yes. one of the things that has brought you close to Sammy and all those guys, yeah. I, th- I think you all share this deeply rooted passion for the arts, uh, for food and wine and uh, palates. And I-, I think it just, it all blends together so beautifully. Forgive the wine term or, yeah, no, or it, welcome it, it maybe. Yeah, no, it it definitely does, and I think that's why we've built these friendships over the years. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Emerald sees me as an artist. I definitely see him as an artist, and we both uh, see guys like Sammy Hagar or Jonathan Kane from Journey as artists as well, and, and there seems to be a real, I mean, deep-rooted mutual respect for one another and, yes. and what we do and how we do it and, and how we are perceived within our industries and then how we are perceived in uh, common communities together. So, you know, music has always just been a huge part of my life, listening to it, being, playing you know, it, playing it, <laughs> uh, you know, being in bands all the way up through high school. Yes. Um, and, you know, I mean, what kid doesn't want to be a rock star when he's, you know, growing up in high school and, mm. you know, watching Sam, I went to many Sammy Hagar concerts and it's kind of funny. I, I pulled out a t-shirt from a, a day on the green in 1979 and I was doing a winemaker dinner for three sticks at, at El Paseo, Sammy's restaurant. And he and Kari were there at the table with us. And, uh, so I was talking to the group about just connections in life and who would have thought, and I, sh- I pulled out this old t-shirt and the headliner was Sam, Sammy Hagar, the Red Rocker. And the opening acts were REO Speedwagon and I think Blue Oyster Cult. Oh, wow. Molly Hatchet. And, you know, it was, a, it was a day on the green at the Oakland Coliseum. And I said, you know, who would have thought 30, 30 years later or 40 years later that I would be sitting here um, enjoying my wines and eating some of his food at his restaurant here in Mill Valley. And I think it kind of just brought the group together and and really showed that, um, you know, we we do live kind of in a small world and Mm. our communities really do overlap more than we think. Yes. And I think it's, that's why I think it is important to take care of all of our communities. 
No, and and I will tell you, you are so much so doing that, and I commend you. I have always appreciated uh, your philanthropic side, uh, but the way that you have lived your life with purpose, and as a as a winemaker, as a philanthropist, as a musician, uh, as a father, as a husband, uh, it is definitely uh, to be applauded. Aside from the fact that you you have hundred point wines and you, you can't <laughs> well i think we all get lucky at yeah, well, i don't know Rob. i don't know you you can't seem to uh stop the the continued elevation and for that um we are grateful what is next i mean after you aspire to riesling uh what uh, what should we expect just um pinot noir a little yes. bit of pinot noir will always probably be my my biggest production i just oh. make the one wine i call it cuvee troubadour and a troubadour mm. is is a person who kind of wanders the countryside uh, in a very whimsical way and tells tells a story and i'm hoping that my troubadour russian river valley really tells the story of of how i see the russian river valley mm. and how i've seen it over the last 30 plus years as I've been making wine. There. A lot of history. I a think... lot of history. Um, in all of my winemaking, I'm trying to do um, this. I kind of call it lazy winemaking. We're not doing any inoculums. We try to use the indigenous yeasts that are coming in on the fruit mm. and, and just, um, you know, a somewhat hands-off approach and mm. piecing together all these techniques that I've learned either have worked or or haven't worked, so I avoid. I try to avoid the ones that haven't worked. <laughs> uh, but the ones that have worked, piecing them together to to develop that vision in the glass. Bob Cabral Wines is a small family winery owned and operated by Bob, Heather, and Paige Cabral, crafting wines to touch your soul. Bob has made wine professionally over 30 years, but he has not made his best wine yet, so we will keep drinking. You can learn more at bobcabralwines.com and follow at bobcabralwines as well. We do have the best culinary thinkers on this show, and there is more to feed your soul and fill your glass right after this. the best life. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. I'm such a fan and I love her passion. Eight-time New York Times bestselling author and the renowned life coach and fitness guru Jillian Michaels is here and she's going to kick our butts into shape. Don't you love it? I love Jillian's approach to making it happen, getting it done and living your best life. And now she's unlocking your genetic potential to ageless strength, health and beauty. Her new book entitled The Six Keys just released, and she's sharing the innovative science that she has studied to unlock the secrets to aging well. Jillian Michaels is here to dish. I'm very glad to have you. Hi, Jillian. Happy New Year. Hi, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be on your show. Well, thank you. I'm thrilled. Um, Okay. I I loved reading your book. I've read it start to finish, and I will tell you, I am 
absolutely amazed and mesmerized by the stories of countless uh, older people who have proven uh, that age does not matter. You talk about reversing the effects of aging for optimal life. Um, yeah. How do we make it work for us rather than against us? Please share the, share the secret. Okay, well, here's the thing. A lot of times people believe that how we age is genetic, right? It's a foregone conclusion, or so they think. Right. But in fact, that's totally untrue. Hmm. And there is nothing in your genes that tells you to die. Nor is there a blueprint in your genes that says, we fall apart here at these benchmarks, and this is the outline for our slow descent into decrepitude. <laughs> totally untrue. So if that's the case, right, we're led to the obvious next question of, well, then what the heck is aging us? Why is the hair turning gray? Why is the skin getting wrinkly? Why am I packing on pounds around the midsection? What's happening here? And how come some people are doing it so much better than others, right? Well, the answer are these six keys or these six body processes that are responsible for how well or conversely how poorly we age. And that's what this book is about. It's about understanding those body processes and learning how to live so we master them and get them to work for us instead of against us. Okay, so number one, the most important thing uh, we can do um, from your research and from your insight as far as these keys uh, to slow the process better. How about better the process? Right. Okay. Um, there isn't one thing. Nutrition based in science that is accessible and, again, common sense and balanced. It incorporates that mind-body connection and the lifestyle changes we need to make to improve our state of mind, quite honestly, and utilizing another buzz term, neuroplasticity, which means the malleability of your brain chemistry and the shape of your brain so that it works for you with regard to more happiness, more calm, more meaning, more purpose, which translates into better physical health, looking and feeling better for years to come. And of course, controlling our environment and the physical stressors in our environment from the toxins we breathe in, the toxins we put on our skin, the toxins we store our food in, all very manageable. But I cannot tell you that one thing is more important than another because sleep is a critical component. The time frame of which we consume our foods is a critical, critical component. How often you're moving and how you're moving is a critical component. So looking at this as a lifestyle approach that is holistic, integrated, and balanced would be the absolute most important thing in moving forward in the healthiest, best possible way. Right. And I understand you have to use all the keys together for optimal results. And when I started reading through your book, I realized that you've always been about the lifestyle approach, everything in moderation, right? Good food, good fitness, good life. But the digging deeper component of it, like learning about the epigenome and how, how I need to learn to, to sweat and my body. I mean, those are the things I think that for all of us, we take th that make it personal and we address and focus on what it is for us that, you know, will make the difference. I mean, I, I didn't about face on, on some of the things that I've been espousing for years. Like, for example, fasting 
uh, I was like, no, never. And by the way, the timing of when you eat means nothing. It's the law of thermodynamics. It's calories in, <laughs> calories, calories out, out, right? That's what matters. And by the way, if we're talking about the size of your body, I was absolutely right. But if we're talking about your skin, your hair, your nails, your organs, right. I don't know, fighting cancer, <laughs> the timing of when you eat matters a lot. And so if we organize our lives, if we socialize, if we choose to meditate, if we practice self-care, all these keys will unlock our potential for ageless strength and health and beauty. And it is all about living the best life. The book is really insightful. Congratulations and kudos to you. It takes the Jillian Michaels story to a whole new level. um, And I loved it. What a wonderful way to kick off the year. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious knowledge and insight. And I do hope it fed your soul. I'll leave you with my last bite for the hour, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation for the week. When you really want pizza, but you're trying to be good, make my pizza crisps. Oh, yes. They satisfy my pizza craving. They're crispy and crunchy, but they're practically carbless and they're just three ingredients strong. I call them trying to be good pizza crisps, and they're essentially a cheese crisp with warm marinara sauce for dipping. They're super simple to make. You preheat the oven to 375 degrees, you line a baking sheet with parchment paper or preferably a silicone baking mat, and you spoon a tablespoon of grated Parmesan cheese, uh, or shredded works well too, into a small mound about two inches in diameter onto the baking sheet. Then you put a half a tablespoon of shredded mozzarella cheese on top and you pat it down to flatten the cheese and make a circle. And you bake until crispy and golden, about 10 to 12 minutes. Then you let the cheese crisps cool slightly. They get crunchy and delicious and you put out marinara sauce for dipping. Now that sounds like the best snack right about now, don't you think? I'll post the recipe on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. And I'll meet you here next weekend when there is lots more fabulous food in your radio. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I thank you for listening, and I hope you continue to eat well. Well.